This is Jack Scallions. Join me for a few moments from my heart to yours. The most famous Christian song by far is the John Newton authored Amazing Grace. Newton's lyrics to this old standby reveals his dire need of grace as a vile, cursing slave trader, guilty with no hope except grace. We sing it in our churches. We listen to its melody played at gravesites, and even watch it surface in the secular world when it's convenient to a narrative. Most who mouth the words have little or no understanding of its true meaning. The picture for many is God looking the other way when we sin. The acrostic God's grace at Christ's expense better tells the story. The same author of Amazing Grace, John Newton, also penned a little-known hymn. It's entitled, Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. His personal understanding of God's grace comes boldly from the words of this hymn. See the streams of living waters, springing from eternal love, well supply thy sons and daughters and all fear of want removed. Who can faint while such a river ever flows their thirst to assuage? Grace which, like the Lord the giver, never fails from age to age. Man has only weak comparisons to the river of grace that flows to all men from the throne of God. Schindler was a German industrialist and member of the Nazi party and he's credited with saving the lives of 1,200 Jews during the Holocaust by employing them in his factories, factories, in fact, that made ammunition for the German army. He had the limited power to pick who lived and who was consigned to be consigned to the gas chambers. He's portrayed historically as a man of great grace. Without discounting his efforts or in any sense minimizing his life, it should be noted that during that same time, 1,200 were saved, 6 million Jews died. He was able to give grace, but only to a few. The grace of God has been extended to all men. What a difference man, grace makes. When Moses was in Egypt, God turned the water into blood. When Christ came, he turned the water into wine. The law brought the sentence of death. Grace brought forgiveness. The law said condemn. Grace says forgive. When the law came to Horeb's mountain, 3,000 people were destroyed for just simply touching it. When grace came at Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved by believing it. When Moses came to the burning bush, he was commanded to take his shoes off. When the sinful prodigal came home, he was given shoes for his bruised and battered feet. In the law, men could not approach the mountain. In grace, we're invited to Calvary's mountain. What a difference grace makes. If there is one truth clearly presented in the scripture, it is that we are not saved by works, but we are saved by grace. From logical as well as from scriptural venue, that is true. If salvation is by works, well, what type? How many? How long? When would the tipping point be? Paul made the most convincing argument for this matter of grace in Galatians chapter 2. He stated, I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. If man could achieve forgiveness and righteousness through works, then the death of Christ was the greatest travesty perpetrated on mankind. 
Paul later expounds on the topic of grace alone in Galatians 5, 4, when he states, Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. In context, this passage is simply saying, you can't have it both ways. Seek justification through works, and you are removing yourself from the realm of grace. When you depend upon your good works to achieve an acceptable state of righteousness, the bar is unreachable and unattainable as mortal men with a sin nature. For all of us have sinned, and we are continually falling short of the righteousness of God. James 2.10 approaches the problem from another angle. He states, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all of it. Take a quick turn. Look at all of the Ten Commandments. Check off those broken either by omission or commission in your lifetime. The law, you see, is not a disconnected batch of individual do's and don'ts. The law is a system of works instituted to prove to man the impossibility of achieving God's righteousness by works. No man is saved by keeping the law because no man apart from Christ ever kept it nor could keep it. God's grace is the sovereign and saving favor of God exercised in the bestowment of blessing upon those who have no merit and for which no compensation is demanded from them. In short, grace can neither be bought, earned, or won. A.W. Tozer states it in this fashion, Grace is the good pleasure of God that inclines him to bestow benefits upon the undeserving. Nothing offends the natural man more than God's rejection of man's worthiness. There is not one ingredient in grace to gratify man's pride. The Apostle Paul's doctrinal conclusion after a thorough examination of humanity in Romans chapter 1 through chapter 3 is simply this, For all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He then gives the only hope of man in the next verse, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. As a result of the redemption in Christ, God's grace provides man with a righteous standing before God. Man, though condemned and guilty, can receive Christ's payment and be justified, treated as though he is innocent before God. The moving cause of justification is simply the grace of God. I was 14 years old, 1956, when Nate St., Jim Elliott, Peter Fleming, Ed McCulley, and Roger Yoderin were murdered in Quito, Ecuador, along the shores of the Cura River by the Alca Indians. These five missionaries were bright and gifted and dedicated. A waste, some people said, futile, well-intended but foolish, others said. But that's not the end of the story. Less than three years after the massacre, the Alcas allowed two missionaries, a sister and wife of the men that were killed, to live among them. Eventually, scores of those Indians trusted Christ. Local churches were established, and these seemingly unreachable people began to spread out in the jungles of Ecuador, reaching others. No one is beyond God's grace. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, wrote this as he came to the close of his life. I am not, not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle that by the grace of God, I am what I am. 
It is impossible at this point not to inject a personal brief note. After surveying a life that could have taken a thousand turns and gone in a thousand different directions, I marvel at God's matchless, amazing grace in my life. By His grace, Christ provided the total payment for my sin. By His grace, He accepted me into the Beloved by faith. By His grace, He secured my soul for eternity, and by His grace, He gave me a life to serve Him. Yes, my friend, grace makes the difference. Thank you for listening today. It's been my pleasure to come to you today with a few moments from my heart to yours. 